Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Brianna Taylor, Eric Garner, Amara Arbery, Tatiana Jefferson, Botham Jean, Flando Castile, Steel, Sterling, Laquan McDonald, Martin, Martin, Michael Brown, Rice, Freddie Gray. There's just so many people who've, you know, fell victim to police, a lot of unarmed black people who have been killed at the hands of police. Freddie Gray was injured in a police van during transport. He later died. Philando Castile and Alton Sterling were killed a day apart. Then there are teenagers, Michael Brown, who was 18, Trayvon Martin was 17, and then there's Tamir Rice, who was only 12 when he was shot and killed. And those are just some of the many, many names of people who've died at the hands of police that I've made an effort to include in the story, just so that you know their memories are not forgotten and to show that George Floyd isn't an isolated incident. It's been nine months since the world witnessed George Floyd's lynching, as a Minneapolis police officer was captured on video kneeling on his neck for nearly nine minutes. This month, the trial for that former officer, Derek Chauvin, begins. Jury selection is set for March 8th. I'm Erica Morrison, and this is Politico Dispatch. Today, as the court system prepares to put a police officer on trial for murder, we look to see if the outcome could be different from past police killings of Black people. Politico national reporter Nolan McCaskill on whether George Floyd's death has significantly advanced the movement on police reform forward, so many countless deaths later. Many of these have led to formal charges, but haven't led to convictions. At the end of the day, when people are calling for justice, they're calling for convictions. You know, an indictment is a big step you know, forward. And oftentimes, or at least some of the times, these indictments lead to acquittal or they lead to a mistrial where the officer doesn't do any jail time. They don't have to face the consequences of their actions. You know, they're able to go back to work in some cases. And like George Zimmerman down in Florida, who killed Trayvon Martin, he's sort of a mini celeb and he's able to live his life. And I think he like auctioned off a gun for a lot of money. When you think about George Floyd's trial, the outcome that people really want to see is justice. And by that, that's conviction. And that's a prison sentence that's just and fair. And I think people want to see that America, you know, isn't as racist as, as, you know, black Americans have been saying it is. And that in this case, justice will actually be served. It's interesting that you say that, you know, that people want to see that America is not as racist as black Americans say it is. But that's kind of what everyone saw. That's what George Floyd's case pointed out to everybody, right? And the movement has grown from these killings and resulting in demonstrations. I'm talking about the larger national movement, really pushing for policing reform in a meaningful way. Based on your reporting and the people you've talked to, what's the sense that you get on whether the movement has real traction? And what, if anything, has changed with the Minneapolis police reform and the call to defund the police since George Floyd's killing? So taking a broad view, just reflecting on the past summer, you saw a lot of state legislatures take swift action. You saw governors issue executive orders to address policing, to hold police accountable. If you look at what happened in November, there were a bunch of ballot measures that passed in different states and cities trying to hold police accountable, trying to create uh, police boards and create more community engagement and have those people oversee police departments, you know, issue subpoena power uh, to really hold police accountable. In terms of Minneapolis, there's, you know, talk of defunding police. There's talk of potentially abolishing police there. Uh, but I talked to an activist on the ground who said there's been a lot of talk, but there hasn't been much action. You know, he's very disappointed. You know, the trial is upcoming. He's 
pretty much blaming the city uh, for sort of creating a false narrative, you know, by trying to increase police presence with National Guard. You know, there's fencing being put up around a bunch of different areas. Uh, his argument is that this is setting the stage that other people in the community should be afraid of the people who may come out and protest if this decision goes the wrong way. And his argument is that, you know, we've seen over-policing, over-militarized police in these communities throwing tear gas and you know, in riot gear, doing that sort of thing. His issue was that, you know, police violence is the issue that the city should be worried about. It shouldn't be worried about the citizens themselves because throughout all the protests we've seen across the country, most of them have have been peaceful. There has been some looting. There has been some arson. You know, people have broken into stores. But largely, when you just look at the number of people who've been involved in this movement, it's been overwhelmingly peaceful. And then on a federal level, there has been a push for laws to change. And there was the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act that was introduced this past summer, and the House passed it, actually. But the Senate never took it up. And there was an impassioned speech from the lone Black Republican in the Senate, Tim Scott of South Carolina. The death of yet another African-American man, George Floyd, his murder, is why the country has given us the opportunity to lead to lead. And my friends on the other side just said no. Not no to the legislation. They just said no. But in recent days, the House has reintroduced the bill. Remind us what's in it, and were there any updates between the 2020 and 2021 version? All right, so the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act would ban uh, chokeholds. It would end racial and religious profiling. It would eliminate qualified immunity for law enforcement, as well as mandate data collection on police encounters. Uh, one issue that was brought up during the course of this reporting was just uh, the press conference with uh, civil rights leaders who noted that the only real tracking of police killings is a Washington Post database. And so, you know, they're really calling on Congress to pass this bill because this is something that governments need to be tracking. It shouldn't all fall on one independent news organization. As far as what's changed, nothing has changed so far. This is the same bill that we saw last year. This is the same bill that will reach the floor. Uh, the question is, what will the bill look like and will it pass? Uh, the biggest issue right now is that for this legislation to pass, it has to go through the Senate and needs 60 votes. There are 50 Democrats in the Senate. There are 50 Republicans. You know, Senate Republicans controlled the chamber last year. This time it's a split 50-50 Senate. So Democrats have the majority because Kamala Harris is the vice president. She's the tie-breaking vote. I think there's the sense that if this is going to pass, it'll have to be watered down to get buy-in from Republicans. You know, you'll have to sacrifice some things. And there's also a bit of intra-party drama within the Democratic Party between progressive and moderates about qualified immunity and whether that's something that could get the votes uh, in the House just because there's such a narrow majority with House Democrats. So this is something we'll just have to wait to see how it plays out. There's a lot of hope that Congress will finally do something. There was a lot of disappointment that this didn't happen last year. Uh, with the trial coming up, there's hope that there's enough public pressure on Congress to pass this. But Democrats don't have enough numbers in the House and in the Senate to ensure that this passes. And so we'll just have to continue to watch how this plays out and see if there are any negotiations underway for Congress to do something and send a bill to President Joe Biden's desk. You mentioned qualified immunity for law enforcement. What is that? Well, qualified immunity for law enforcement essentially shields officers from like being held personally liable for constitutional violations like excessive police force. That kind of means that they can't really be sued for damages under federal law. And so that's something that Democrats in Congress are trying to fix so that in all of these instances we're seeing where officers don't get held accountable, that there's now 
legislation to address what they consider a loophole that shields law enforcement from being held accountable for their actions. But what they say gives law enforcement impunity to, you know, be violent with black Americans to, you know, put their knee on their neck for almost nine minutes, to put them in chokeholds, to go into their homes and shoot and kill and ask questions later. Uh, so that's that's a very big piece of, of, of the legislation. It could be something that holds up its passage that still remains to be seen. But that is something that civil rights leaders are very hopeful is included in the bill and does make it and something that they want to see make real change in America. We mentioned that Derek Chauvin goes on trial this week for the death of George Floyd. What are the charges he's facing and what's his defense? So he's facing second degree murder and manslaughter charges. I think prosecutors want that uh, charge to be upgraded to third degree murder, uh, which was originally a charge, but I think a judge dismissed that. The difference between second degree and third degree murder is that second degree murder is uh, intentional murder, but without premeditation and third degree would be an unintentional killing. I think what people are expecting from the defense is to, you know, paint George Floyd as a criminal. You know, he was first, police first approached him because of a an alleged counterfeit $20 bill. You know, I saw reports already about that, about how there were drugs in the system. So I think what we've seen oftentimes in these cases is that, you know, they're not going to portray George Floyd as a man that millions of Americans saw in that video, you know, pleading that he can't breathe, calling out for his mom. They're going to paint him as a man who had drugs in the system, a man who, you know, went into a store and tried to buy something with a counterfeit $20 bill. They're going to paint him as a criminal. They're not going to paint him as a father. and They're not going to paint him as a, as a citizen. They're going to you know, try to cast him as an animal, cast him as somebody who, you know, may have deserved to die. You know, people saw the video, uh, they saw what happened, but they're going to try to, you know, spin that narrative into their favor. Uh, And I think whether that works, just because of what we've seen in recent years, uh, there's not a lot of faith that he will be convicted. I think there's a bunch of hope, but at this point, a lot of Black people are just tired of being let down. Yeah, what comes to mind when you talk about the picture that they're going to paint of him is Mike Brown and how he was painted as this uh, really large criminal and it was, you know, messing up the store. And everyone's like, well, we have to look at the larger picture of who these people are and not a moment. And I think that that's part of what the movement pushes for. Right. These aren't, you know, hashtags. These are real people. These are people who had families, people who had futures. You know, Trayvon Martin is someone who could have gone to college. He could have gone on to do great things. Now his mother is you know, someone who continues to try to run for office to create change. And, you know, she's living her life without her son. Uh, You look at Jordan Davis. He was killed in Florida over loud music, and his mother ended up running for Congress to try to create change. Uh, But these these are real people. They have real stories. They have real lives. You know, they shouldn't be defined by one incident, but oftentimes this is what their lives are reduced to. What else do you think listeners should be paying attention to when they follow the coverage of the trial? And is there any indication of when we should expect a decision? What I'm really interested to see is what this jury looks like. We all know what happened with George Floyd. You know, like I said, we all either saw the video or we heard about it, we read about it. I think the issue will be, does this jury look like America or does this jury look like Minneapolis? Is this going to be a bunch of white men who are sympathetic to police, you know, who were railing on Facebook against Antifa and, you know, who supported the Capitol insurrection? Or is this going to be a diverse group of people who... They're able to bring their own experiences. You know, the fact that someone may have grown up poor shapes their life. The, may, the fact that someone may have gone to college and someone else may not have, you know, shapes their life and their beliefs. Will we see a bunch of people 
with very different backgrounds be able to come together and get a decision that, you know, much of America is waiting to see and hoping is a conviction or, you know, will this be a bunch of people who don't really care about George Floyd, people who agree with the defense that George Floyd was a thug, that George Floyd deserved to die, that George Floyd shouldn't have had a counterfeit uh, $20 bill, or just people who see George Floyd as a, as a human who deserved to live and who should have been able to defend himself and go through due process, uh, just like we're going to see with this officer. Nolan McCaskill is a national reporter for Politico. Nolan, thank you. Thanks for having me. Nolan McCaskill is part of the reporting team behind The Recast, a new Politico newsletter that looks at how race and identity are shaping politics, policy, and power. To check it out, go to politico.com slash newsletters or look in this episode's show notes. I'm Erica Morrison. Thanks for listening.